Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. Before we get to today's episode, a thank you to our sponsor, St. John Associates, for sponsoring this episode. For over 30 years, St. John Associates has thoughtfully matched thousands of physicians with practices across the country. Their experienced consultants work in all specialties and will only send you the jobs that fit your lifestyle and location preferences so you can begin building the life and practice that you've always wanted. Their services come at no cost to physicians, so visit stjohnjobs.com forward slash ETS. That's S-T-J-O-H-N-J-O-B-S dot com forward slash E-T-S to get started with your job search today. I'm delighted to be joined in this episode of Explore the Space podcast by Dr. Jessie Allen. She is back once again. Dr. Allen is a pediatric hospitalist for the Palo Alto Medical Foundation, an adjunct clinical associate professor at Stanford University School of Medicine. She joins us today to discuss the Women in Medicine Month as well as some of the primary gender equity issues within medicine in America and the hashtag invest in her campaign. We've got links in the show notes to all of the work going on with women in medicine month and the hashtag invest in her campaign. Definitely worth checking out. And it was just an absolute treat to have Jesse back on explore the space podcast to discuss this topic and a shout out as well to our friend, Dr. Julie silver, who drives so much of this work as well. You can check out the archive of explore the space podcast, www.explorethespaceshow.com. Please do subscribe and rate Explore the Space wherever you like to download your podcast. That really helps us out. And please do share with your friends and your colleagues. You can find me on Twitter at ETS Show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show. And you can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. You can also check out the Explore the Space merchandise store at www.explorethespaceshow.com forward slash merch. We are coming towards the end of Women in Medicine Month in 2022, the month of September. But the work continues for sure. It was absolutely wonderful to have Dr. Allen on Explore the Space podcast to discuss what that looks like, as well as the hashtag invest in her campaign. So let's get to it. Jesse, welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm delighted you're here. Thank you so much for having me. We are recording this during Women in Medicine Month, hashtag Women in Medicine, and we're going to be discussing the She Leads Healthcare Project run by our mutual friend, Julie Silver. But I want to start with a really high level sort of strategic view of this idea of a month that highlights women in medicine and of conversations focusing on women in medicine. Give us a sense of how how big this is, why it's important, why we're doing it, and, and sort of that sense of how many people are affected locally, nationally, and everything in between as we think about the role and impact of women in American healthcare. Yeah, this is um, this should really be all year. This isn't something that we should just focus on one month. It's great that September is dedicated to women in medicine, but this is really a huge problem. There was problems before the pandemic, and the pandemic has just really accelerated some of those concerns. Um, a lot of people, when they think about gender equity, they're like, oh, it's just for women. This is a women's problem. 
But really, gender equity benefits all of us. This is not a zero-sum game where one group benefits and the other one loses. Studies have really shown that even at the society level, and definitely in medicine, that having more gender equity is really good for everybody. And it's good for our patients. There was a wonderful study in 2018 that found that when women experience heart attacks, they actually have higher mortality when they're treated by a male physician versus a female physician. But interestingly, if that male physician worked with more women, that impact was decreased. So in some ways, working with more women colleagues actually improved the outcomes for male physicians. And we know that women are much more likely to be frontline providers. Um, It's about a huge part of our workforce. But then all, unfortunately, a lot of women are leaving medicine. You know, you've heard this great resignation before and women are leaving in the, the masses. Um, we know burnout is higher for women in medicine and it's the pandemic has really accelerated that. So we can't afford to lose any more women physicians. We need them. We know women physicians take on more complex patients. They spend more time with patients. Um, and a lot of the metrics actually show that women are in some ways even better. And so we really need them. We need them as leaders. We need them as physicians. We need them to to stay here. And that's part of the reason why Dr. Julie Silver has launched. You know, I always look forward to her campaign every September. And I think this one really nails it, the hashtag invest in her, which is essentially a, a call to action for our medical community, you know, institutions and professional societies to really get on board and start investing and increasing the value that we place on uh, women physicians. Do you feel like these conversations cross over, right? You shared that that study around women and, and heart disease and heart attack and outcomes. Does that cross over into conversations beyond you and I on a podcast, beyond our profession? Do you think that there's public awareness of things like this and public pressure to make things better, or are we not there yet? You know, I sad to say I'm not sure if we're there yet. Um, I, I would like to say we're moving. You know, there's a part of these campaigns are really pushing this forward and pushing this out into the the public. But I don't think the general public is aware of the loss of women physicians, especially over the last two years. So it's this campaign is great to highlight some of the urgency that we have to really place value on women in all of medicine and all of healthcare. There's three components to the Invest in Her campaign that Dr. Silver and many others are, are driving and running. But I think it's worth calling out to one of the things as we think about impact, impact on patients, impact on people when we're losing women physicians. You lose a physician in a medical group or an organization, it's a quarter million dollars yeah. to, to fill that gap. These are massive expenses that none of us can accommodate. So you can find whatever lever you want to pull, whether it's, it's, this is because of the right thing to do, seeking gender equity, whether it's the right thing to do because we need to keep our organization afloat. The, the reasons are myriad. Which one do you think is the most effective at driving change? Or which one would you predict over the course of time and over the course of your career will be the one that actually drives movement? You know, I think the one that is highlighted here, the R's, is the retention. I think it's just an underinvested area um, is how do we retain women. And I think it's important to look at why are women leaving, right? Why, what are the reasons that women are leaving? And I mean, I think there's a multitude of reasons. It's very complex, 
but I think they feel undervalued and, and value can mean different things in many different ways. But of course, one of the big ones is compensation. You know, it's no longer a question of is there a gender pay gap in medicine? It's simply how long are we going to tolerate this? Um, you know, the WAMC recently reported that women make women physicians make about 76 cents to every one dollar a man earns. And this is not just this is across the board. This is in all specialties, even in specialties that are predominantly women, like in my field in pediatrics, we still see a pretty significant pay gap. So this is definitely something that we need to address and and look at. Really interestingly, our gender pay gap, about like 20 or maybe 50 percent of it starts from the very beginning, from your initial job offer. Um, And the answer is not, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, women need to learn how to negotiate better. We need to put them to negotiation courses. But really, women are very good at negotiating when there's clear and transparent benchmarks and we know what the landscape is. Just in terms of shared understanding. I, I think we have to be really careful Like we talk about the three R's, recruiting, retaining, and reentry. I am not sure, and I'm curious as to your thoughts, what do you think the shared understanding around our profession is when we say retention? Do you think people in medicine, male, female, non-binary, just people who are healthcare professionals, when they hear that word, do we all understand it the same way? I don't think we do. I don't think it's taught. I don't think it's coached. I don't think it's... So I think we have to be careful as we use it, do you think that there is widespread understanding of when we say retention, are people nodding their heads because they get it or are they nodding their heads because they're uncomfortable saying, wait, what does that mean? Which I know I'm one of those people sometimes. If I don't know something, I might feel uncomfortable asking. Where do you think we are? As we're using these big words, do we have shared understanding? I, I don't think we do yet. And, and yeah. I, I think it's a little bit tough because it probably means different things for different people. Um, yeah. But I don't think we've talked about this nearly enough in medicine, right? It's almost like yeah. how do we prevent attrition, but how? let's think about it the other way. Like, how do we retain? How do we value? And this I, is a much more aspirational way of thinking about it. For right, sure. right, right. How do we put value on the, on the work that people are doing? How do you promote loyalty? How do you... Um, you know, there's there's lots of good ways in how you can do that. I mean, just like a really low hanging fruit for women is lactation support. You know, mm-hmm. it has shown that you support pumping rooms. You know, I'll give a great call out to UCSF who has kind of started working on how do you adjust your RVU requirements while you're pumping. And it's really shown to promote long term institutional loyalty and it improves productivity. There are very specific and actual things that people can do to help keep everybody and specific, specifically women in, um, in the healthcare field. The second R where I'm not going to ask because I know there is not shared understanding, reentry. I don't think most people know what that even means. Define reentry. When we're talking about reentry as part of an invest in her campaign, as part of a way to elevate, promote, support, retain women in medicine, what does reentry mean? Yeah, I mean, reentry could be a broad um, thing. Pe- people leaving medicine, you know, they take a different career, they take some time off and want to get back in, um, or just simply like leaving for parental leave, leaving for a medical leave. It's hard to come back. We know in medicine it moves quickly, it is challenging to come back. And there are so 
few programs that support reentry. Uh, Drexel University is one of the only formal programs that we have to help like specifically support people coming back into the healthcare system. Um, and I think this is something, especially given the landscape right now where so many people are leaving or just taking a break. You know, this has been a rough few years. How do yeah. we support those providers when they want to come back? How do we, and I think maybe looking at, you know, parental leave is a great place to start. And how do we onboard? How do we get people back? How do we transition? We know, especially for women that after you leave for, you know, on your parental leave, there's something called literally called the maternal wall where women are just suddenly you have kids and they're passed over for leadership positions, passed over for projects. I mean, I felt this myself when I left for my own leave. And before I had my first daughter, I was leading a research project. I came back. I was no longer leading that project anymore. Like not even a blink. It just sort of keeps rolling without you. And what are the programs that we can put in place where there's a clear handoff or transition to allow all providers to come back from some sort of a break without this feeling of just trying to catch up or just trying to... I mean, there's a lot with licensing. There's a lot with education. And I think institutions need to look at this in a formal program. I think it's true that the institutions need to do it, but I also think it's incumbent upon individuals to know and understand that this is part of our practice. Um, in, in my you know varying roles in medical leadership, I've helped physicians with reentry, meaning they left for a while. They were not practicing at all. They weren't seeing patients. They were doing something else, whether it was maternal leave, whether it was a different job, whether it was, it doesn't matter why you departed. When you come back, you have to go through a re-entry program, basically meaning some sort of thing to demonstrate aptitude and ability. The problem is, and tell me if I'm if this list is complete, most people don't even know to ask about re-entry. They don't even know it's a thing. They're just taking leave, and then they think when they come back, it'll come back. Two, there are no set guidelines of how long you can be gone before a re-entry program or a re-entry requirement kicks in. It's like individual institution rules. Your medical staff office will tell you if they even have one because it's not that common. And then the three, what are the re-entry requirements? And again, there is not clarity on this. There are not organizational position statements saying if you're a pediatrician and you are gone for six months without any clinical practice, this is what you must do. Those things don't exist. No. As far as I know. And the last time I checked, that's a huge problem. So when we're experiencing a great resignation, some of those people will come back for whatever reason. Time will go by. Like you said, they just need a break. They move through a different phase of life. They want to come back and start seeing patients again. It's not that easy. That's the bottom line. It's not that you don't just get to walk back in the door and there's not clarity on how that process works. Of all of the three things that are in the three R's, that's the one that I was like, great. I'm glad it's here. And that's the scariest one. Yeah. And also supporting what was the reason that that you left? You know, what was the reason that you left? Was it a family emergency? Was it having a new baby? And how do we support your new like you're often a different person when you come back after an event? Totally. And how do we, we support you both personally and professionally? Right. But also just get how do you get back? You say, okay, I want to come back. All right. Here's what you have to do. 
I think my sort of almost ask of people who listen to this and people who participate and learn about the women in medicine campaign and the she you know this work within hashtag invest in her learn about reentry even if you aren't thinking about taking a break God forbid you suffer an injury and you something happens and you have to take a break you need to know what those criteria are and it's better to ask about it in advance and just kind of have it in your back pocket um, because it might not be six months it might be less. And you can either say, okay, now I know the criteria. Well, what if I just do a little bit? That usually is enough to kind of keep the wheels turning. It's a whole different decision-making algorithm. And if you don't even know it exists, that is a really intimidating barrier to run into when you decide to come back. That's this whole suite of things that you now have to do. And they're not easy and they're not paid. It's rough. It's rough. Reentry is not a, a walk in the park at all. And unfortunately, as you said, right, it will be predominantly affecting women because of things around maternal leave and time off when you have kids and this sort of stuff. That's a huge thing that the majority of men won't have to also step through um, to the same degree. So there's an inequity there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's not just for physicians. Thanks for letting me get that off my chest. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's great. I, I I think it's also not just for physicians, right? This is something we know there's yeah. a nursing like shortage. We know, I mean, this has to be something that, and I don't actually know, I'd love to know who you think is best to own this, whether it's like the institution or whether it may, should be more of like a professional societies based on specialties, but um, someone's got to step That's up. That's a great question. I would say the best way to do it right now, the fastest way to do it would be for the large organizations, you know, that that have multiple hospitals, multiple offices, big national named organizations to implement them and be transparent and just have it like be part of the contract, right? So that when you sign your employment agreement, part of it is, right, this is how many shifts you're going to work. This is what you're required, whatever, all of the pieces of the contract that there's a clause in there that says this is what our reentry policy is. Uh, and that when you sign up and you're reviewing your contract, contract, you'll know. And it'll say if you have zero clinical activity for X number of months, when you choose to return with us, these are the expectations. This is how it will work. On the flip side, like you said, supporting a property, making sure you have faculty who can do it. Because if they need at the shoulder monitoring, you need to have someone who has time available to do at the shoulder monitoring, mm-hmm. right? When they're coming back to start seeing patients again for the first time, if they part of your policy is someone has to be with them to monitor and then review their progress notes and review their discharge summaries and give feedback, they have to have time to do that. That's a that's a full day. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be the first place to start and it would cover the most people the quickest. And it's in the organization's best interest for sure, because you've already trained somebody. You're better off having them re-enter after three months, then going out quarter million dollars to replace algorithm. That's a way tougher road. Yeah. And I think it's very important that it's supportive and not punitive. Right. And totally. And I'm totally. Just thinking, I, as you're talking, I'm just thinking about like, well, I think women do this all the time <laughs> when, when other women come back from leave. And I mean, I think it's another example of some of the sort of unpaid work that women do to to pull each other up. You know, Julie Silver talks about this, like the fourth shift. This is like the third shift that that many of us do who just, you know, to pull each other up in a way and how we support one another coming back from leave and what that looks like. What a great thing for an organization to do, though, to say, all right, Dr. Shapiro is taking a leave effective January 1st. Anticipated duration is nine months. There's clarity on when he returns. This is the reentry program. But along the way, once I get plugged into the organizational algorithm, they just, I get, it can be a form email. Hey, just checking in. How are you? 
as you are aware, we're planning on your return in October. This is the pathway to kind of get your reentry process started. That wouldn't be hard to do. And just in terms of feeling like, okay, cool, someone's got mm-hmm. got my back around this, that would be a really big step and it wouldn't be hard to do at an organizational level. Yeah, no. And I, I think we, I mean, there's so many coaching programs popping up, especially for trainees, but I yeah. think we also need to do that for, then, for our team. None of them cover reentry. Yeah. Wouldn't it be interesting to do just like a random survey of residents who are graduating, fellows who are graduating? What does the term reentry mean to you? Or do you know what professional reentry is? I bet it would be less than 20%. Yeah. I bet it would be really, really low. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge problem because the other thing too, we have to remember there, though there is a baked in structural inequity here, it does affect men and non-binary practitioners yeah. too. Yeah. If you leave for whatever reason, and you hit that threshold for your organization or your your hospital or your practice, you have to re-enter. Yeah. And I mean, it's also a lot of times unexpected, right? Or it's not planned. You don't yeah. you know, always have the time to yeah. plan ahead. So you have to have the system. I mean, we've learned anything from the pandemic. We know things are going right. to come up. And if you don't have right. infrastructure to start, you know, you're not going to be able to pivot and to be, you know, agile when these things come up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of pivoting and being agile. Right. These do give people that sort of call to action. They do raise awareness. So when people want to see a pivot and they want to engage with this project, with women in medicine, not just for the month of September, but beyond, where have you learned the most? What resources and which people and which platforms? That's the first part. Where have you learned the most as someone who has really emerged as a go to as a resource and as someone who can share information and share what they have learned, where have you done your best learning that other people can kind of replicate? Yeah. I mean, I, I learned so much on social media. I'm just going to say, I, yeah. I learned so much and um, I've learned a ton from Dr. Julie Silver. Um, you know, at her, she leads healthcare.com. It has her campaigns are just so digestible and so quick. And it's, fantastic and it's data-driven. I learned so much from our mutual friend, Dr. Shika Jean um, and her Women in Medicine Summit and her nonprofit, Women in Medicine. And it's it's fantastic. And I mean, I think that this all these people, they're doing this amazing work and it's part of the inertia is just showing up and getting involved, right? I think men often, we need male allies. We need men to play in this game. Like we, we have to, we know that there's more men in senior leadership positions. And I think there's a little bit of a, you know, I, this isn't me, but like, I'm not going to come to this conference. It's a women's conference, but really this should be a room full of, of also men listening to this and, and how they can support, how they can sponsor women for leadership positions. We're going to need senior men to sponsor women, to move women up the chain, up the academic ladder. Um, and we know women only and the non-academic ladder too. Yes, right? this exactly. isn't just academic medicine. Right? right? No, there's no. more of us that are not in academics than are. So this, there's no opt out. Is the point. yeah here here yeah as the non-academic folks here. Yeah, you and me both. Here. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I think we're also the, probably the perfect people to you know shed some light and and areas that are right. a little bit concerning in academic medicine. Right, having For a sure. step step away from it. And people who want to learn more about hashtag invest in her and the, the this project and the month of September and beyond, where do you where do you like to send them? 
I would go to sheleadshealthcare.com. Um, it has all of Dr. Julie Silver's resources there. And I also would encourage people to sign up for her leadership course. I'm going to attend. I'm really excited to attend. The speaker lineup is fantastic. Um, and that's um, coming in early November. We'll have links to all of that great stuff in the show notes. And where do people find you, Jesse? I'm at Dr. Jesse Allen. So at D-R-J-E-S-S-I-E-A-L-L-A-N. That's awesome. We will follow you there for sure. Jesse, this was great. Thank you for joining us. It's a, it's a busy month. It's an important month. Appreciate you taking some time to frame this for us and to, again, hopefully drive progress. This was awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mark. My thanks once again to Jesse for joining me on this episode of Explore the Space podcast. Definitely check out the show notes, all of the links to the things that she referenced and the hashtag invest in her campaign as part of the Women in Medicine Month are all there listed in the show notes. Definitely check those out. And a thank you to our sponsor, St. John Associates, for sponsoring this episode. If you're in the job market, the trusted professionals at St. John Associates have matched thousands of physicians to practices at no cost to the physician. Visit stjohnjobs.com forward slash ETS to learn more. That's S-T-J-O-H-N-J-O-B-S dot com forward slash ETS. And thanks to you so much, as always, for listening. Please do check out the archive of Explore the Space podcast, www.explorethespaceshow.com. Hit me on Twitter at ETS Show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com as well. We will be back soon with more great content. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.